The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His thoughts, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call it to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen the heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. If you'll pray with me. O God, we come before you and we thank you that you are king forever and ever. Father God, we thank you that we can draw near to your throne with confidence, boldly, knowing that you hear our prayers, knowing that you intercede on behalf of us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and breathing and that it is working through us. We, we ask that you work through Randall and through Billy today as you, as they preach your word and lead us through worship. Father, that your, uh, your word may not land void in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you work through our hearts, that we may learn to love you more, learn to, as, uh, as the scripture says, to walk as you walk to Jesus. Again, we, we thank you and we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church family. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, being a father myself for a little over 10 years, having three kids, I know that it is not an easy task to be a dad. And, and what I've seen is that God has taught me what it means to be a dad. We, we need more fathers. We need more men to step up. And so I'm very passionate about that. And I, and I hope that uh, together we can learn what God desires for us to be as men, as husbands, as fathers. Uh, so happy Father's Day to all the, the guys out there. Uh, now, we are in a series right now called Praying the Psalms. And there's a text that we're looking at from Psalm 10, 1 through 18. And today's message is entitled, Learning to Do Justice. Now, here's what I know. All of us are on this journey. We are learning, right? And so I've had to learn what it means to be a good father. 
And really it takes God to, to teach me that from his scriptures and, and the Holy Spirit to convict me uh, to become a, a better dad. Because naturally we are very selfish people. And, and so when we come to the scriptures and we look at the Psalms, what, what the Psalms teach us is, is it's not about us, but it's about God. And God makes us less selfish and more selfless because of the Holy Spirit in us. And so what is it that we can learn in this season that we're in right now? Well, I read an interesting article this past week by Dr. Russell Moore entitled, The Weight of Glory in a Time of Blood and Fear. And he says, the death of our illusions then isn't meant to paralyze us, but to reshape us into the people who know how to weep and how to groan and how to point to a different sort of kingdom. As he, C.S. Lewis said, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned. We are all on this journey right now of, of learning and growing and, and God is, is teaching us and shaping us and forming us. The way that I've heard it said is that we live in the tension of the already and not yet. And the Psalms help us and prepare us for this tension, the tension that we all live in. Micah 6.8 says this, and, and this is a verse that we've come back to before, right? It says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, the context in which Micah was writing this was, was there, there, he was living in a culture with many social ills, many problems that were going on. And the crookedness that was happening in his generation was actually being said that it was good, it was right. And so Micah is bringing the people back to God. And today we need to come back to God in the Psalms. And we need to do that in the area of, of what does it look like to have true justice? In a recent Gospel Coalition article entitled Psalms of Justice, David Taylor writes, the fact that injustices occur every day will be obvious to anyone who follows the news. Injustices happen to individuals, mar institutions, and befall entire people groups. The killing of George Floyd was a high-profile tipping point of sorts in our awareness of grievous injustice. But terrible injustices occur every day in each community, far removed from the headlines. For the psalmist, such a world is all too familiar. And, and they pray repeatedly, for justice because they understand that a world full of broken humans and dark forces generates injustice everywhere and always. They always pray repeatedly for a just judge to make things right. You see, with all of the social ills that we face on a daily basis, all of the injustices, the Psalms point us back to God. It points us back to the only just judge, truly good judge. And so our text today is from Psalm 10, 1 through 18. 
And here's the question. How does Psalm 10 prepare us for biblical justice? How does it prepare us to, to really think about that? Well, there are three ways that today's text can help us. And it starts with number one, a desperate plea. A desperate plea. Two, painful reality. And three, a wounded healer. A desperate plea, a painful reality, and a wounded healer. The first one is a desperate plea. Look at verse one. Here's what it says. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This verse is a gripping plea to God for help. See, see, the psalmist is at this place where he has no solutions other than coming to God. He sees how complex the problems are. And, and he doesn't have the resources to fix the issues. He's scared, frustrated, and desperately crying out to God for help. Because he asked God, he says, do you stand far away? Do, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? He's crying out to God and asking God these questions that he's feeling deep in his heart. I think Derek Kidner was right when he says the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to his understanding, to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. Right? And so even in this prayer where, where the psalmist is asking God, do, do you stand far away? Do, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God understands the hurts and the pains that he's, he's crying out from. And so there is first a desperate plea to God. Secondly, there's a painful reality. Look at verses 2 through 11. In these verses, it tells us what the painful reality is that the psalmist is living in. Right, right. The Bible is written in the real world with real struggles. And so the psalmist exposes three areas that he sees as major problem areas. First one is the actions that he sees. In verse 2, he says, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Verse 4, he says, his ways prosper at all times. The, the, the psalmist is living in a world where there are systems that are set up that, that there are people who are prospering as they disadvantage the poor, as they oppress the poor. In verses 8 and 9, he, he says, He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. Verse 9 says he lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. There's a painful reality of the actions that he sees. Secondly, there's speech. In verse 3 it says, The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Verse 7 says, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Verse 10 says, the helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. 
Third, he points out the heart of what's happening here. Verse six says, he, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Verse 11 says, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. See, why is there injustice in the world? Why is this reality of pain and hurt and oppression a real thing that we face? Well, the Bible gives a robust diagnosis to the human condition which addresses our actions, our speech, and our hearts. The way that the Bible talks about it is, is really in three ways. It talks about iniquity, transgression, and sin. Iniquity, which is mentioned in verse 7, is the word avon in the Hebrew. And it means crooked behavior. It's a person who just continues without repentance, without seeing anything wrong with what they're doing. They've got their blinders on. This is iniquity. Transgression is this. It's the word pasha. And what it means is breaking trust with somebody and intentionally disobeying, even though they know what is wrong. You can find it in Psalm 32, 1. And then the Bible mostly talks about the word sin, which in, in the Hebrew is kata, in the Greek it's amartia, and it's this, it's, it's missing the mark. It's missing the mark. And so simply, this is missing the mark to what Jesus says was to love God and love others. See, that's what the Ten Commandments were made up of. It was the first five were, were to love God, and then the next five were about loving people. And so the Ten Commandments aren't, isn't a checklist to say, look at how good I'm doing, but really it is, is to expose us to the, the ways in which we are failing to love God and to love other people. The two, loving God and loving others, is deeply connected all throughout Scripture. And that is the cry of the psalmist in this text. Because as he sees people that are being taken advantage of, he's saying this is what sin looks like in action. This is what it looks like. This is the painful reality of our world. 1 John 4.10 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The interconnectedness of loving God and loving people is found all throughout. Lastly, it's the wounded healer. We see it throughout verses 12 through 18. See, how do you find healing in a fractured, broken world? It's by looking upon and setting your hope in God. So how does the psalmist do this? Well, he remembers the reality that, number one, God sees. Look at verse 14. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. 
So we see, number one, that God sees. Two, we see that God acts. Look at verses 14 through 15. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. God is active. Next, God reigns. Look at verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. God hears. Look at verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. We find that God strengthens in verses 17 through 18. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The psalmist is setting his eyes upon God, the true judge. And he believes that God is active. How do we know this to be true? How do we know that God is truly active in a world where there are moments and there are times where we look and we say, God, why do you stand far away? Do, do you hear, do you, do you listen to the cries of the people? It's because God in Jesus Christ experienced affliction, poverty, injustice, oppression, pain, and sorrow. See, God doesn't only acknowledge that it's happening, but he experiences it himself. In the 2014 movie, Selma, we see the black voters during that time asking for their vote, their right to vote. But the grave injustices that were done to them to tell them that they weren't equal. And there's a scene in the movie where Martin Luther King Jr. is is talking to the grandfather of Jimmy Lee Jackson after he'd been brutally murdered by Alabama State Trooper James Bonner Fowler while he was at a peaceful protest. And in the movie, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. looks at the grandfather and says to him this, I don't have the words for you, but God was the first to cry over the murder of your grandson. God was the first to cry. See, God doesn't only acknowledge the pain, but he experiences it. And that's the uniqueness of the gospel. That's the uniqueness of the God of the Bible is that we have a God who cares deeply for his people. Henry Nouwen said, no one escapes being wounded. We all are wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not, how can we handle our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Jesus is God's wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death brought joy and life. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection brought a community of love. As followers of Jesus, we can also allow our wounds to bring healing to others. 
Friends, we're going to face deep woundedness in this world. Yet God can redeem us through the woundedness that we face. To be wounded healers as Jesus is a wounded healer to us. 2 Corinthians verse 5, starting in verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, the greatest reconciliation that we have is first vertical between us and God. And because of the the relationship that we have with the God of the universe, where he has removed every barrier through Jesus Christ and brought healing to our deepest wounds from sin, iniquity, we can now have this ministry of reconciliation with others. And we can bring true justice into the world because of the God that we serve. God's entrusted us with his message. And so quickly, some takeaways. Let's let's ask God to examine our hearts in this. Let's ask God to examine our hearts. First, do you see yourself as helpless? As helpless. Whatever your walk of life, whatever your background, do you see yourself as helpless? Because verse 14 says, to you the helpless commits himself. There's an entrusting that we do before God. No matter what your financial situation is, no matter what your background is, no matter what the color of your skin is, we all come to God and say, do we entrust ourselves to God and say we are helpless? Because if we're in that state, if we are in that place, we'll be able to say, I need help. I need to repent. I need to see areas in my life where there is still sin and I'm blind. God, help me no longer to be blind, but to see. Help me no longer to be deaf, but to hear. God, I need your help to search my heart. Because that's what a person who knows that they're helpless does. Is they come to God and say, God, will you examine me? And show me the areas that I never thought were there. See, what you'll find out is that you and I are more sinful than we ever dared believe. Yet, in the gospel, we are more loved in Christ than we could have ever dared hope. Friends, that is what we need right now. Is to come to God with a helplessness to say, I need you. Second is, do you understand the grip of sin? Because for many of us, this is our blind spots. This is our areas that we don't see. And we need God to uncover that. And there are, sin is very complex. And so number one, sin desires for you to define good and evil. You know what? Sin wants you to define what good and evil is. This has been our problem since the garden. When it comes to sin, 
We wanted to define our lives. We wanted to be at the center of our world, right? The, the middle letter of sin is I, I, I. And so sin des- desires for, for you to define what good and evil is. But ultimately what we see in scripture is that the only one who defines good and evil is God. See, our secular culture wants to define things without God. And that's what we see throughout this text is that the, the, the psalmist is describing someone who is his living a godless life, who, who's saying, I don't, I don't need God or God's not really there. And so friends, will we come to scripture? And will we see that we need God to define what good and evil truly is? Because here's what it says in Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, one of the battles that's happening right now is who's good, who's bad. But what we see in scripture is it defines it very clearly that only God is good and that all of us have sinned. And so we need God to define for us what is good and evil. And we see elements of it. We know parts of it, but what's the whole truth? Next, sin desires for you to overlook oppression and deny justice. See, verse seven says, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. The Bible Project does a very good job of of speaking into biblically what justice looks like. And so I've put a link on here on my notes and you can check that video out. But the Bible Project uh, describes justice throughout the scriptures as this. Justice is a theme that is throughout the Bible. When God's people were shown injustice, such as when the Israelites were under Egyptian oppression, God stepped in and showed them restorative justice, just like he commanded them to show to others. Of course, The sad irony is that the Israelites would later go on to oppress others even after being oppressed themselves. Ignoring these important concepts of righteousness and justice that God decreed that they should live by. Today, we as human beings continue to demonstrate injustice, benefiting from the oppression of those around us and making ourselves guilty in the eyes of God. You see, what was it that Micah was speaking out about the injustices that he saw? But see, sin wants us to keep those blinders on. And lastly, sin desires for you to live in self-deception. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, what is the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? Jesus is depicting how we justify ourselves. What is the lawyer asking him questions for? Like, who is my neighbor? Well, it's because he wants to justify himself. The the scripture tells us that. And in many ways, we fail to love our neighbor. Timothy Keller in his book, Generous Justice says, we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, 
politics, class, and religion is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor and you must love your neighbor. And so as we wrap up, here's the gospel. Do you see the solution to sin, iniquity, and our transgressions? Here's where it's found. It's found when you and I look upon the ultimate injustice in this world. The darkest injustice in this world. Describes it in Isaiah 53 when it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Friends, today it's in the truth of of who God is. That he's not a God who stood far off, but came near and became one of us. He walked this earth. He faced the sorrows. He faced the pain. And it says that he wept with us. You see, Jesus today, I believe is the only solution for a broken world, for a sinful world, for a place where sin, iniquity, and transgressions run rampant. Jesus is the only one who has bridged the gap. And so today, as what scripture calls us ambassadors of Christ, we stand in the middle of Yes, the already, that day when we will stand together in Revelation chapter 7 and it gives us that beautiful picture of all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities of people coming together before the throne. Yes, but yet we are living in the not yet, that tension that we live in right now. And so we must come to God and say, teach me what it means to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let us come to God and ask Him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you didn't stand off from a distance, but you saw this broken, sinful world, and you came and you died for us. You died for every injustice that we see. And I thank you for the eternity that we have in Jesus Christ. That as we see all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the pain, Lord, that you truly are the wounded healer. So God, I ask that you heal the wounds that are in us and that through the healing that you do in our lives, God, that we go out into a broken world and bring healing and reconciliation to our neighbors, to those who are far from you. And we tell them about the great reconciliation that that you've made between us through Jesus Christ. And that we can be people that help bring reconciliation everywhere we go and be good news to people. Teach us 
what justice truly looks like through your eyes, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.